0: LifePoint Church in Ozark, Missouri. LifePoint is a body of believers led by God's spirit to engage in his redemptive mission in the world. We love Jesus and desire to serve him by leading people to be real Christ followers in life together. We hope that this message will be a blessing and an encouragement for your life. If you would like more information about LifePoint Church, please visit us on the web at www.lifepointozark.com. Deuteronomy chapter 21, I'm going to read verses 15 through 17 today. If a man has two wives, the one loved and the other unloved, and both the loved and the unloved have borne him children, and if the firstborn son belongs to the unloved, confused? Sixteen. Then on the day when he assigns his possessions as an inheritance to his sons, he may not treat the son of the loved as the firstborn in preference to the son of the unloved, who is the firstborn. But he shall acknowledge the firstborn, the son of the unloved, by giving him a double portion of all that he has, for he is the firstfruits of his strength, the right of the firstborn, is his may god bless the reading the hearing the understanding and the obeying of his word today in my family there are 3 children i am the baby i still remind my siblings regularly that i am the baby and that i am more loved than the other two i don't really believe that i just want them to believe that and For 45 years of my life, I've been trying to convince them of that, but my parents have done a good job of helping them understand just letting go. We all understand. (laughs) The oldest in my family is my sister. She's six years older than I am, and I have affectionately referred to her as the firstborn of our family as what I call the second mother. Now, I always intended this label with a deep affection. But I suspect that she more received it as a deep infection instead of affection. But what we want to talk about today is the firstborn of the family. The one who was born first. And if verse 15 of Deuteronomy doesn't confuse you, what, uh, what Moses is dealing with here is a situation where a father shows favoritism among his family. Now remember we've talked about in the law that the law that Moses is exercising and teaching, instructing in from chapter 12 all the way through chapter 26 is he's addressing situations that the children of Israel are going to deal with in the land, uh, in the promised land when they cross over the Jordan River. And so there are times in this series of passages where just two or three verses begin to tell us what the law should be in a very specific situation. Sometimes just one verse deals with it. And here we have three verses. As a matter of fact, this whole chapter is a string of just three to six verses of laws that Moses is giving them to address specific situations they will deal with when they go into the land. And the reason that we're taking time to look at these is because what I am purporting to you in this whole series is that God wants to shape our lives for glory, His glory, through mission. And the book of Deuteronomy is all about Him shaping a people like Himself to live on mission in the land. And what is it that we as Christians today can learn from Deuteronomy that was originally written to the children of Israel that we can understand for today and apply it to ourselves in order for us to live a wholehearted allegiance through a whole life obedience in our life. And so that's the whole impetus of this series. And so today we consider this law that addresses the firstborn of the family. Now, Moses addressed this situation where the father was showing favoritism towards the one who was not the firstborn. And I, I'm not going to deal with the multiple wives today because that's not the focus of this passage. If, if you want to talk more about that, we can deal with that later. Uh, this man had a number of issues before we even get to who gets the most inheritance, but I mean, which is obvious from the verses, but... but We're going to look at where the focus of these verses uh, rests. And here's what he basically says. He says that a man cannot use his personal preferential rights to treat his wife or his children any way he chooses to. That's basically what Moses is saying. He's saying that the father should not give the inheritance rights of the firstborn to another, but rather he is responsible to regard the firstborn with his rightful inheritance. So the law says this, that whoever the firstborn is, that is the one who lawfully and rightfully should receive the double portion because the firstborn in this day and time held a special place in the family and not special that was so distinct from the others but more special in terms of responsibility for what they would have to do with the family. Now, this was not really a new law. It didn't just begin here, but it was addressing a situation that we're already familiar with. If we were to turn back to the book of Genesis, to chapter 29, there was a man by the name of Jacob whose life was riddled with the fact that he wouldn't obey this law. So let's put this into, uh, into application so that we can relate to it. Look at the life of Jacob. Jacob was used by God in a mighty way, but his life was riddled with deception and trickery and personal preferential manipulation of whoever he had to manipulate to get his way. Here's what we learned. Jacob went to Laban and served Laban, and he served Laban for seven years because he wanted to marry his daughter, Rachel. He served him. They went to the wedding. I don't really understand how all of this could happen, but at the end of it all, Leah was Rachel, and Rachel was not Rachel, right? You remember this. And so they wake up the morning after, and he goes back to Laban, which is weird in itself. You shouldn't be that close to your father in law on the morning after your wedding, right? <clears throat> and he says, Hey, <laughs> That's not Rachel, that's Leah. And he goes, yeah, he said, but she's the firstborn. And in our family, we don't give anyone else in marriage until the firstborn has been married. And so what does Jacob say? Then can I work another seven years for Rachel? And he says, sure, pretty good deal. And that's what he does. And at the end of seven years, he gives Rachel to Mary. Now, the Bible goes on to tell us in verse 21 That Leah bore Jacob three sons first Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. But we also know that Jacob loved who most? Joseph. Remember? What did Joseph have? The coat of many colors. And he would go out to his brothers and take some stuff and tell them how daddy wanted this and daddy wanted that and, and, and daddy said this and daddy said that and blah, blah, blah. And the big brothers just got enough of this little punk and did what to him? They were going to kill him. They took his coat. They fed it to a lion and let the lion rip it up. And they sold Joseph into slavery, took the coat back to dad and said, Sorry, dad. Joseph's gone. Right? And so we know that Joseph goes into Egypt, uh, he becomes the number two ruler in the land twice, uh, a great famine falls uh, on the land and all the brothers have to come to Egypt because Joseph has been so faithful in the way he's managed those uh, resources for Pharaoh and they come and, and they discover all of a sudden uh, that, that, or excuse me, not they haven't discovered it yet, but, but they tell Joseph, who recognizes them, what's taking place. And Joseph said, there's a younger brother? Because in the meantime, someone else has been born. What's his name? Benjamin. So now who does Jacob love most? Benjamin. And he says, you have to bring the younger brother to me. And they said, oh no, we never do that. Dad wouldn't let us. He's lost one young son. He won't lose another. And he says, no, you have to. Because Joseph had never met him. And so they bring Benjamin, Joseph reveals himself to them, and they end up all moving to Egypt so they can be cared for. Jacob's life was riddled with deception uh, from the time that he was a boy. He didn't feel like he was loved by his dad. And it, it began there and carried out all throughout his life. And so we see this, that Jacob's sin in breaking this law wreaked havoc on his family all of his life. Now there are two important items that we need to see to to understand this passage and what Moses is saying to them best. And I've already articulated them, but let me just remind you of them. First of all, the firstborn is God's, and it serves a unique place in the family. This is what we see in the culture and the tradition of the Old Testament. That the firstborn of the family is by God's sovereign choice. And serves a unique place in the family. God establishes this position that he might demonstrate his sovereignty. But also, he prioritizes this position in the family. And the firstborn receives a double portion of the inheritance. Because of the second important item that we will see here. That the firstborn should lawfully receive his due inheritance. Because he holds a specific responsibility for the whole family. We talked about this briefly last week when we looked at the rebellious son. But with the firstborn, what we understand is it was his responsibility to make sure that the whole family was cared for. And so he got the larger portion because he had a greater responsibility. And this was understood. And what Moses is saying here is you can't deprive the one who has a higher responsibility with lesser resources this is by God's sovereign decision. But listen, there's a greater truth that is, that is resonating through this passage. God ordained the firstborn because in the law, He would use the firstborn to point us to another firstborn. To one who would be born as the only begotten son. And who would serve a purpose upon which we will look today. You know, many parents struggle Many of them even fight when all of their expectations are not completely fulfilled in their kids in the way that they desire. Maybe that's something you've had discussions about in the last few weeks. Maybe it's something you've wrestled with in your life. You love your kids. You wouldn't deny that at all. But at the end of the day, sometimes some of the things that you had desired for them, you didn't really see coming to full fruition in them. And as parents, that's hard because there's disappointment that can arise within. But at the same time, there's pressure that can be applied upon. And we don't want to do that to our children. And so we war within ourselves. And we know that so often that is as a result of our own sin. And we have to repent of that. And we have to ask the Lord to forgive us. And we have to learn to love our children for who they are. And to see them as a gift of God to us. And to appreciate that. Parents, we must recognize that our children are a gift. They are a blessing to us. They are a responsibility for us. But they are given for God's glory and they are given for God's purpose. In the world, the psalmist says that children are like arrows in the hand of the archer. And arrows aren't trophies to be hung on the wall, they're weapons to be fired into battle. That should help us, parents, help us understand what God is saying to us today. The firstborn holds a unique role in God's history of redemption. In the tenth plague, the life of every firstborn in every home that was not painted with the blood of the lamb would be killed by God's will. God himself moved as an angel through the camp and would kill the firstborn of every home. He was demonstrating his power over life and over death in this ultimate plague because he was taking not only children from the home, but he was taking the next generation, the future hope of Egypt. He was stripping it from them because they were trying to strip his future people from his hands. But it also pointed to a greater demonstration of God's power. God offered up His firstborn, His only begotten Son. Maybe the greatest passage that is most well-known and familiar in all of Scripture is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His what? His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have eternal Listen, friends, understand what God did here. His only begotten was handed over to Satan. God took his son and he put him in Satan's hand. And he said, Satan, open your hand and I'll give you my son. The one you couldn't conquer when he was on earth, but the one that I lifted up and I'm going to give him to you. And he placed Jesus in the hand of Satan. And Satan gripped him and held him and for a moment made everyone convinced that he had conquered him. But in three days, God said, I want him back now. Give him to me. And he came up from the grave and was raised. You see, he placed Jesus squarely into Satan's grip of death, but Satan could not hold him. Do You see that point there? That that Satan could not hold him. God gave him, Satan had him, but he couldn't keep him. And so after three days, he raised him from the grave. And might I just make an application to your life briefly here to say this, that there is no hold of sin's power in your life that is greater than God's power to save you. There is nothing that sin can do or hold in you or over you, or to you, that God cannot pry sins, cold, dead hands off of, and give you new life as a result of. I don't know who needs to hear that today, but someone does. Someone's here today. You're addicted. You're defeated. You're discouraged. You're destitute. You're distraught. Why? Because sin, because condemnation, because shame, because guilt is destroying your life. And you wonder if God is sufficient to save you from your situation. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ says God can take anyone from anywhere and save them. Because he put Jesus in Satan's grip of death and took him back when he was done with him. Jesus, friends, is the firstborn. He's the firstborn. He is the one that is exercising God's mighty power to save all who by faith will trust in him. And what I want you to see today is that this law points us to the firstborn to understand the role of the firstborn in the family. But as a greater firstborn, it points us to the only begotten son who would be the firstborn for you and for I. I want you to see today four positional roles As the firstborn in Jesus that reveals his inheritance. And what I want to beckon upon you today for is this. That you can trust Jesus because of his fulfillment of these roles as the firstborn. The first one is this. We've already looked at it in John 3, 16. Jesus is the firstborn as God's only begotten son. He is the firstborn as God's only begotten son. God blessed Jesus' birth with mighty miracles to identify him. Prophetically, he was the fulfillment. What did Simeon say when he held the baby? You have dismissed my life in peace. I have seen the salvation of man. Prophetically, he completed his promises in the birth of Jesus, but he also did it through proclamation. He appeared to Mary, he appeared to Joseph, and he told them that this child would be the Christ child. And when Jesus was born, he appeared to the shepherds, the lowliest of all the social strata of society. And he appeared to the wise men, the highest of all the social strata of society. And he called them to come and to worship the Christ child that everyone else had dismissed. So by prophecy and by proclamation, God blessed Jesus' birth with mighty miracles to identify Him as His only begotten Son. When Jesus was baptized, God blessed Him with a dove and with an audible identification. Listen to Matthew 3, 16 and 17. It says this, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately He went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to Him, and He saw the Spirit of of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him and behold a voice from heaven said this is my beloved son in whom I am well God blessed Jesus' baptism with a dove and an audible identification of who he was. God also blessed Jesus' finished work in salvation by raising him from the grave in Luke chapter 24 and verse 6. They rushed into the tomb on that morning and the angel said to them, what? He is not here. He is risen. He is risen. Amen. God blessed his finished work By raising him from the day, from the grave. Friends, Jesus is the firstborn son of God. He is the rightful one to receive the father's inheritance. He is the rightful one to receive the father's inheritance. I want you to see though a second role that Jesus serves. And it's this, that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Of all creation. The great Christological hymn of Colossians 1 that, that, that basically verbally raises the roof with praise. That's what Colossians 1 does when it talks about Christ beginning in verse 15. It says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. You see, Jesus holds a position of honor from the Father among all creation. It does not mean that he himself was created, but rather he was a unique and supreme being among all creation that would become Lord over all creation. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 6 helps us understand this when it says, And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. That's that special responsibility, that's that unique role in creation that God ordained sovereignly for Christ to fulfill. And Jesus is the supreme one, he is the Lord over all creation that he might be worshipped as Lord. And so understanding what Colossians is telling us, it exalts Christ that he might take his rightful place as the firstborn of all creation to be worshipped. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation and he receives as his inheritance lordship from the father to rule and to be worshipped by all of creation. That's his special responsibility, that's his unique role. The third positional role I want you to see is this. He is the firstborn of redemption. Look at Romans 8, verse 29. It says this, or listen to it. Don't look at it. Listen to it. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Jesus is the firstborn in redemption he holds the position of firstborn in redemption he himself was not redeemed but he himself is the one through whom all shall be redeemed of all those that will be redeemed this passage for us today holds the strongest words both of salvation and of assurance for the christian romans 8 28 through 30 There are no greater words of assurance to understand God's salvation and his assurance of that salvation for us today. And what he says is that Jesus is the firstborn. He is the one in whom all salvation and all redemption occurs. And as the firstborn, Jesus is the image in which we are being transformed into. So by faith, Christians become like Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5 and Galatians 6 tells us that we are remade in his image, a, a new creation in Christ. That's his special responsibility. That's his unique role as the firstborn of all redemption. And Jesus as the firstborn of all redemption, hear me, receives as his inheritance. All whom the Father gives to Him in salvation. The fourth row I want you to see this morning is this. That Jesus is the firstborn of the resurrection. He is the firstborn of the resurrection. A little later, three verses later, in verse 18 of Colossians 1, Paul is still writing this great Christological hymn. And he says this, He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. And Revelation 1.5 picks this up and John says, are, uh, they are from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. He is the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. And so he identifies Jesus again. As the firstborn of the dead, those who will be resurrected. He is the firstborn of the resurrections. Romans 6, 4, and 5 tells us this about our share in his resurrection. That we are buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life for if Don't miss that word there. If we have been united with Him in a death like His. How do we unite with Him in a death like His? By faith, right? Here's what He says. We shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like Him. Two words. What's the first one? If. If we are united with Him in a death-like kiss. If. What does that make you dependent on? If by faith you put your trust in Christ. What's the second word? It's not if again. It's not maybe. It's not could be. It's not might be. It's if God's having a good day, it can be. It's what? Certainly. We shall. Be raised with Him. Friends, these four positional roles are essential for us to understand Christ as the firstborn. And when we see this law, we understand that the law demands what? That the firstborn receive His rightful inheritance and the point that we make here is that Jesus is the firstborn and he will receive his rightful inheritance his inheritance as the firstborn of the resurrection or that all who by faith share in his resurrection God raised Jesus because his wrath was satisfied on the cross he will not forsake you or any who put their faith in Christ because he didn't forsake Jesus in the in the grave Christian, here's where we need to bring this to a focus this morning. We are Jesus' inheritance. He fulfills that special responsibility and that unique purpose of God in the family, and we are his inheritance. That's what scripture tells us. We are rightfully his. We are legally his. We are redemptively his. And we are resurrectionally his. We are his inheritance. And we can rest assured in Christ's resurrection. Because the father will give him his inheritance. Let me go back to this for a moment and try to draw the line. If God's word says, this is the way it should be. And we know people have failed because to miss one point of the law is to be guilty of missing all the law, right? But what if you don't miss one point of it? And what does the New Testament tell us? That Christ is the fulfillment of the law. Not only did he perfectly obey all of the law, but he is the fulfillment of it. So in Christ, who is the firstborn, we can rest assured in the Father's giving of the inheritance to the firstborn, that Jesus is the firstborn of the resurrection, and he receives as his inheritance from the Father all who are raised with him. So the question becomes this for you and I this morning. The question is, Are you trusting Jesus completely? Are you trusting Jesus completely? One way you can correctly answer that question is to simply answer this one. Do you allow your obedience to God to grow entitlement with God within you? Let me tell you why I asked that question. Because if you go over to the story of the prodigal son, what do you find? You find a son who faithfully obeyed his father all of his life. But when the prodigal returned, he had a problem with who? His dad. Why? Because his obedience was not out of love. It had grown entitlement in his heart. You see, the question for you and I this morning is this. Do we serve God because we love Him? Or do we serve God because somewhere within our hearts we believe it will indebt Him to us? Let me tell you how you can know the difference. Because here's my conviction. At one point in our life, we're all the prodigal son. And at one point in our life, we all become the older brother. Here's how you can know if you serve God because you love Him or if you're serving God, allowing entitlement to grow in your heart. Do you grow angry with God when He doesn't answer your prayers the way you want Him to? Do you grow angry with the Father when He doesn't answer your prayers in the time frame that you want Him to? Do you grow angry with God? Bitter. Maybe just a little bit. When he doesn't answer your prayers to the extent that you want him to. Do you grow angry with God? Here's the second question I would ask you. Do you envy other people? Do you look at them and go, man, it just seems like Life's easier for them. It just seems like everything comes a little easier for them. Maybe God loves them more than He loves me. Maybe God wants something more for them than He wants for me. Maybe God's just kind of forgotten me. But when you see God blessing other people's life, when you, when you see God forgiving and saving other people, there's a moment, there's a spark in your heart That is more defined by envy of that person than by gratitude to God. Jesus says, these are the two signs whereby we live not out of love for God and trust in Him, but in self-righteousness, in trusting self and what we can do. An attitude of entitlement towards God is present and growing. When you're angry at God, when He doesn't do for you as you think He should, and when you envy others, when you fear and suspect that God may love them more than you, and you say to God, God, what about me? You see, friends, Jesus is the firstborn. He's the fulfillment of the law. And He shall fulfill this law as well. The law of the firstborn. As the firstborn, he has completely secured every promise of God and he will receive his full inheritance from the Father. You do not have to perform perfectly for God. You cannot impress God to love you more by your performance. And you can trust and rest in him by faith. In Christ Jesus. You see, Jesus is the firstborn. He is exercising God's mighty power to save. All who by faith will trust in him. And when you do, this will be the difference. There will not be anger towards God. There will not be envy towards other people. There will be overflowing joy in Christ Jesus. You see, the Bible tells us that as the firstborn, Jesus humbled Himself and obeyed the Father for the joy that was set before Him. That joy was the conquering of sin. It was the conquering of the grave. It was the conquering of all that despised God. And it tells us that He despised the shame of the cross because of what it meant. But He loved the Father because He knew His faithfulness. Hand. and the father was well pleased with him and raised him up to seat him at the right hand you see friends when we trust in Jesus he never leaves us with scorn with shame with bitterness or disillusionment but he endured sin's shame that he might bring to us everlasting joy in salvation You don't have to worry about whether God loves you enough. You can trust that He will be faithful to His only begotten Son and rest in Him alone. Will you do that today? Will you do that today? Won't you receive the joy that multiplies to overflowing in Christ Jesus? Can I lead us in a prayer as the worship team returns? Heavenly Father, help us today. It can be so easy for us to see our rebellion and so difficult for us to acknowledge our bitterness towards you. Lord, in doing the right things, we are often deceived in ourselves by doing them for the wrong reasons. And the point is not that we should cease our obedience, but that we should see our affections refined by the blood of Christ. God, may hope overflow today. Lord, may Jesus be of our supreme hope and glory today. Not that we would impress you, not that we would trust in our works of obedience and our service and and then, Lord, only to find that we've grown bitter with you and envious of others. But, Lord, today might we just confess that and repent of it. Say, man, I do. When I get tired, I, I grow angry at God because I wonder why should I be so tired of serving Him. And when other people are so difficult... I wonder why should God love them so much and me so little? God, this is a confusion that arises in our heart because sin is ruling in that place in us. We fear that if you love them, you won't have enough love for us. But God, your love never divides and diminishes. It always multiplies and overflows. So, God, if there's one in the room here today who is fighting this anger and this bitterness, God, I pray that they would release it today to trust and to rest in your firstborn son, your only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to receive the joy that you have, to know its overflowing presence in their life. And, God, if there's one here today who's never come to the point in their life where they've given up their own striving, repented of their sins, and they're trusting in their self. But for the first time today, they know the Spirit of God is speaking to them in this very way. I pray for their salvation today, God. Help us, Lord Jesus, to trust in You, to trust in You alone, We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together and respond to the Lord in song.